everyone. Welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we focus on San Diego cases. My name is Arena, And I'm Renette. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Charlie Kiever and Jonathan Sellers case. Have you heard mm, of this case? That sounds very familiar, but I can't put a like, face to the name or the actual case. Okay, so I never heard about this case. I was hanging out about a month ago with my brother, Bobby, Mm-hmm. And his friends were there, and he introduced me to his friend Tessa, which oh, yeah. turns out you know Tessa. Yeah, I know Tessa. <laughs> so while I was at the house and hanging out with them, she overheard me at the kitchen table talking about true crime. She got off of the couch in the living room and started hanging out with us. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm really into true crime. And so she started asking me, oh, have you heard of this case? And I'm like, yeah, have you heard of this one? And so we're kind of like bouncing cases off of each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like, have you heard of the Jonathan Sellers and Anthony or Charlie Kiefer's case? And I was like, no. And she started to tell me what it was about, Mm -hmm. how it happened in Imperial Beach. And it was two young boys that were murdered while they were riding their bikes. Now that you're speaking more about it, I think I do know this case, but not super detailed, which I'm sure you'll tell us everything about it. Yes. Yes. So, you know, when she told me this case... um, Right when I got home, I started looking into this the case that night, and I was just like really sad. I was really angry reading just how brutal this murder was. Mm-hmm. Cases involving children, they just hit differently. And oh, yeah. so that night when I got home, again, I was just like reading through it, and it just made me feel so sad. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like I should give our listeners a warning that this case does talk about horrible stuff done to children. So if that's something that's just too difficult for you to hear, I completely understand if you need to skip this case. Mm -hmm, Definitely. First, I'm going to start talking about a man named Scott Erksin. I I don't know if I'm saying his last name properly, but Scott was born in San Diego in 1962. And when he was just five years old, he was hit by a car while he was trying to cross the Pacific Coast Highway. He was like trying to cross the street with Mm -hmm. like his older sister. Hospital records showed that Scott's pelvis, femur, and several ribs were fractured. He had bruising in his lung and also in his brain tissue. Oh, wow. So he spent about a month and a half in the hospital. And I believe 60 hours of that time, he was in a coma. Oh, my gosh. And he was how old? Five? Five. Oh, yeah. So um, Scott's mom, Rita, said that after the accident, Scott would have these debilitating headaches. And when he would have these headaches, uh, Scott would start screaming and he would bang his head on the wall. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. He also started having these temper tantrums that he never had before. And um, when he started kindergarten later that year, he had trouble with muscle control and his fine motor skills. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that brain damage. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this accident really, you know, it changed his entire character, according to his mom. Yeah. You know, I mean, because I imagine at that age, your brain is still developing. Of course. Yeah. So little. Mm -hmm. That's insane. So I'm also going to share with you incidents that people reported and testified about regarding Scott. So it's kind of like a lot of stories, but I just want to tell them so you can get an idea on who this man is. Okay. Scott had a sister named Judy, and Judy said that when she was just seven years old and Scott was 10, Scott and two of his friends took Judy and her friends, who were of a similar age, to the loft of the barn that was behind their home. Mm-hmm. And Scott 
forced the girls to give him oral sex. <gasps> oh my God. His sister, okay? <gasps> his sister and her friends. What the fuck? And he threatened them that if they told anyone that he uh, that he'd kill them. How old was he? So he was 10 and wow. his sister was seven. And he's already doing He's already, shit. yeah. Wow, that's not good. Yeah. And about four years after that, so when Judy was 11 and Scott was 14, she woke up to find Scott touching her breast and <gasps> vagina. Oh my God. What? That's yeah. awful. Yes. So, so then his sister, Judy, she had a friend named Barbara. Barbara and Scott became friends through Judy. And Judy was in fifth grade at that time. And Scott invited Barbara over to see a fort that he made. So he made this fort. When Barbara described the fort later on, she said it resembled an igloo. It was built out of foliage and you had to crawl on your hands and knees to get into the entrance. She and Scott got inside the fort and Scott threatened her armed with a knife and he pulled off her shorts and underwear and penetrated her vagina and anus with his finger first and then afterwards with twigs and then he forced her to give him oral sex. Oh my God. So, you know. This is very graphic. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. And that's why it was really hard to read yeah, all this what stuff. The hell? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Then another story there was a woman named Randy. And she said that Scott was her boyfriend when she was around 12 years old. So I guess, you know, just kind of like a mm -hmm. like little crush kind yeah. of thing and holding hands and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, one day he had asked her, Prove your love to me. He said, You can prove it by having sex with me. Well, she said no, and when she said no, he hit her on the head with a closed fist, hard enough to like make her, uh, like stagger back. Oh my! So that's gosh. twelve years old. Like so violent and like fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then there was a woman named Colleen, and she said that in 1978, when she was twelve years old and Scott was fifteen. Scott was walking her home when all of a sudden he put a knife to her throat and he forced her to walk down to this um, like drainage ditch and he demanded her to take her clothes off and give him oral sex. She was terrified for her life. So she did what he demanded and then he sodomized her and then vaginally raped her. Wow. Afterwards, he walked her back home holding that knife to her neck. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I no one saw any of this like he was they were out like on a main road or something and they were in imperial beach at that time oh my gosh um but nobody saw that that incident with colleen wow another woman with the initials v m i don't know her full name because i read the court records they only referred to her by her initials okay. so she said that on the day after colleen was attacked she was out for a morning jog in that same area and a man that was later identified as Scott tapped her on the back and he put a knife to her like stomach area, pulled her to that same drainage ditch with the intentions on raping her. But she luckily escaped and Scott was caught and arrested for oh that gosh. sexual assault on both like Colleen and um, the woman with the initials VM. Mm -hmm. He was sent to a juvenile detention center. And I'm not sure how long he stayed in there, but I do know that he was 
out by the time he was 18 years old because oh when Scott was 18 years old, while on his way to interview for a job um, as a camp counselor of all oh fucking my jobs, God. No. yeah, he beat a 14-year-old boy unconscious while attempting to rape him. What the? F- on his way to become to be interviewed for a camp counselor, yes, he's just beating kids up and raping people. Yes. Wow. So Scott approached that boy named Robert outside of Robert's school. And I think it was Ramona High School. He was a ninth grader. Scott asked Robert, where's the nearest bathroom? Robert being a nice person, he was walking him behind the school building to show him where the bathroom was. And Scott suddenly became very angry. And he pushed Robert against the wall, threatened to rape Robert, slapped Robert's penis, and punched Robert multiple times. What the fuck? What is wrong with this guy? Well, we know. Freaking car accident messed up his brain, but yeah. Jesus Christ. And he's just out and about doing all this shit to these people. Yep. Or kids. Kids. Yeah. He then choked Robert until Robert passed out. But once Robert regained consciousness, Scott was asking him, Are you okay? Are you okay? And acting as if like he found Robert, you know, in this condition yeah. and he was this sort of savior. Oh my gosh. Did did he remember what really happened? Yeah. So Robert knew exactly what Scott had done. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, it said that Robert ran away and he knocked at one of the neighbor's house near the school that he knew, told a neighbor what happened. They contacted the police and Scott was arrested. Oh, wow. Good. I'm mm-hmm. glad he was able to get arrested again. But of course, he's just going to be released again. Yes. Yes. And for that, he actually spent four years in prison. He was 18. Okay. Yeah. So he stayed there until he was 22. Wow. Only four years for doing that. I know. I know. That's really shitty. And it's like if they looked back at like he was arrested and put in juvenile hall for Colleen and the woman with the initials VM. Like I know, like violent and sexually like violent as well. Sexually motivated. Yeah. Yeah. He was choking that Robert guy until he passed out. That could have been attempted murder. Yeah. If he had held on a little longer, he could have just died. Suffocated. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's a real piece of shit. While Scott was in prison, there was a guy named Michael who had just gotten arrested. And I looked up why Michael was arrested, and apparently it was for sleeping underneath a roller coaster. What? (laughs) I don't know uh, what the laws are for, you know. Like trespassing, maybe? Mm -hmm. I think it was trespassing because it just said he was arrested for sleeping underneath the roller coaster. Oh, my God. It sounds like a roller coaster in San Diego. Now that I think about it. Well, there's like Belmont. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's it. But that's such like an innocent sounding thing. Like he had nowhere to go. Maybe he just and he fell asleep versus this other crazy asshole freaking raping and hurting people. I know. And this guy was placed in the same holding cell as Scott. Oh, my God. Like a nonviolent crime versus Mm -hmm. this guy who was just on a rampage. Yeah. When he was placed in that holding cell, Michael said that Scott ran the cell, like ran the cell. He was like the shot caller Mm -hmm. of that cell. And I guess Michael and Scott got into some sort of disagreement regarding some purchased items from the commissary. Oh, God. When they got into that disagreement, Scott hit Michael in the face and Scott demanded Michael to give him oral sex. What the? 
He just loves him a blowjob, right? I like, guess so. And he doesn't care who he gets it from. Right. Wow. Well, Michael, he refused to do it. And Scott went ballistic. He started to slam Michael's head into the concrete. Wow. While Scott was doing that, Michael freaked the fuck out. And he said, okay, okay, I'll do it. So he started to perform that act. Oh my God. And mind you, there was actually a couple other men in that cell. I was going to ask, like, are there other people around? Yes. Oh, my God. And now that it's just hitting me, too, when I was reading that, he did tell Michael that if you don't do it, I'm going to have these guys bust a train on you. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fearing for his life, he started to perform that act. And luckily, um, a guard was walking by with a flashlight and he seen what was going on. So he pulled Michael out of the cell and separated the two. Good. Yeah. Christ. In 1988, when Scott was 26 years old, he was out of jail. He was a free bird during that time. Great. And and while he was out of jail, he met a woman named Deborah. He met her when he was working at her brother's flower stand in Palm Beach, Florida. And oh, he went over to Florida. Uh huh. Okay. They ended up getting married, and she said he had anger issues. Yeah. No shit jealousy issues (laughs) and she said that you know she ended up getting pregnant and when she was six months pregnant with their child he choked her out and kicked her in the stomach oh my god she then ran out of her home to try to escape him and one of her family members lived on that same street as them so Mm -hmm. she was running to her family member's house and he started chasing after her down the street threatening her saying that he had a gun and that bullet was for her thankfully he was she was able to get inside that family member's house Mm -hmm. and i think it was either her brother or her dad went outside and ended up getting into like a physical altercation i was about to say someone needs to beat the shit out of this guy well they did okay and they told him like stay stay the hell away from from her coward Yeah. Finally, Scott's brother named Douglas, he said that he and Scott have had multiple physical altercations. He said that in 1992, Scott would have been 30 years old. The two of them got into an argument Mm -hmm. that turned physical. And during that argument, Scott choked Douglas to the point where Douglas lost control of his bladder and bowels. Oh my God. So this just gives you an idea on what a piece of crap this scott person is the worst fucking person ever and i know it was a lot of stories but i felt like i wanted to share those stories just yeah just to see how violent he is my god Mm -hmm. insane oh i was gonna ask um was the baby okay the lady who deborah who got pregnant i don't know because i tried looking yeah um to see if i could find information on her and there was nothing but i'm wondering if she probably, how I probably would have changed my name. Yeah. Done anything so he wouldn't find me. Yeah, get the hell away from this guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I also wanted to mention when Scott was 10 years old, a psychiatrist had put him on Ritalin mm. and another drug called Hal, Haldol, H-A-L-D-O-L. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh-huh. What's that? Um, hmm. I don't know, but oh. <laughs> probably anxiety. Google it, Arena, okay. and tell us. Haldol. So Haldol is, let's see, a medication that works in the brain to treat schizophrenia. Oh, shit. Holy shit. Okay. 
And then what about Ritalin? So Ritalin is for ADHD and it helps uh, stimulate the mind and body and mainly in adults, but it can be used on children too. Okay. Well, Scott was on both of those when he was 10 years old. The oh psychiatrist gosh. put him on it. Um, and they said they put him on the medication because Scott's mom, Rita, claimed that Scott was out of control. But Scott was only on the medication for, I think it was two months or slightly even less. It caused Scott to become very sleepy and he was falling asleep at school. Okay. So he was just really zombie-like. And I have a friend who I don't know what medication she was put on for anxiety, but I remember she was telling me just how out of it zombie-like she mm -hmm. felt. So she stopped it straight away. Oh, um, I heard that like, that type of medication, it's really strong. Obviously, mm -hmm. you can change the dosage, but yeah. it also takes like a couple of months for your body to adjust to it. Oh, and because right. I do have, I know some people that do take it too. Yeah. And especially for things like bipolar, schizophrenia, or things like that, it can take a long time for the body to actually like react well to it. Yeah. But some of the side effects, yeah, definitely sleepy. And they feel like, yeah, like zombie, like they're, they don't really feel like they're all there kind of yeah. yeah so then i wonder if they would have kept him on it maybe that was just a little helped. bit longer it might have helped yeah, right i know so um they ended up taking him off of that medication due to it making him fall asleep in class also around that time so when he was 10 years old um scott's mom rita got a phone call telling her about what scott was doing to his sister judy and her friends at the barn house oh. so the mom was aware of what he was doing oh wow really yeah okay did she do something about it i don't think so <laughs> oh <my laughs> i don't think God. she did anything about it wow great um and then when another thing i wanted to mention when scott was 12 years old he was placed in a youth facility and the doctor who treated Scott there, um, he noted that Scott had some sort of natural brain dysfunction. Mm -hmm. The doctor also noted that Scott's household showed hostility and violence, but Scott was only there for a couple months because the dad ended up pulling him out of there. Okay. Which doesn't make no damn sense to me, but I'm assuming the doctor probably, since he was saying that the home showed like hostility, mm -hmm. the doctor was probably calling the mom and dad out for yeah. certain things and maybe they didn't like it. And so they're like, okay, you're getting out of here. And who oh. knows? This is just what I'm assuming. But yeah, they didn't want to be told that they were basically being bad parents. Right. But if... I had a son that was behaving yeah. and doing these things. Keep his ass there. Seriously. Lock him away. And keep him on the medication. Like, who gives a fuck if he's asleep in school? At least he's not going to start keep raping, raping people. Raping people. Yeah, and right. attacking kids. Right. The following year, when Scott was 13 years old, he was referred by the County Health Medical Division to go to the Southwood Hospital in Chula Vista. Oh. So I never heard of that hospital name, so I just went and Googled it because I thought, well, maybe um, it's still here and it's just under a different name, mm -hmm. and it is, and oh. it's Bayview Hospital. Oh, okay. yeah. So it's just hospital. like right close to wow. my house. Um, <laughs> he ended up, which by the way, actually I was Googling, God, I hate that I talk fast, I need to slow down. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I was Googling Bayview Hospital. Uh -huh. And that is like a whole ass other story. There was all these cases against them for <gasps> really? wrongful deaths of patients inside there. 
Oh my gosh. From when it was Bayview and then also back when it was Southwind. Ooh, we should do an episode on that. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Scott was inpatient there at Southwood for two weeks. And while he was there, he was diagnosed with disassociative neurosis Mm -hmm. and borderline psychosis. Okay. When he was released, he was court ordered to go back a month later due to another sexual assault. My God. He just can't help himself. He can't control himself. So the same doctor that treated him there... Um, noted that Scott was seriously disturbed, obviously, and he needed long-term treatment, but that didn't happen. Oh my God, just put him away. (laughs) So that was just the whole story of people's experiences with him from his childhood up into adulthood. And, you know. My God. Yeah. And so now I'm going to talk about the crime. The morning of Saturday, March 27th, 1993, Nine-year-old Jonathan was cleaning his room as he did every Saturday morning. It was a routine that Jonathan's mom, Malena, had her children do. I watched an interview on YouTube with her, and she said growing up, that's what her mom made her do. Mm -hmm. So she had the kids do the same thing, which I think is good. Yeah, that's good. I still do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So while Jonathan was cleaning his room, 13-year-old Charlie Kiever rang the doorbell. And he asked Melina if Jonathan can ride bikes with him. Actually, Charlie was originally supposed to ride bikes with Jonathan's older brother, Alton, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, he ended up being like a cast member on Real World Las Vegas. (gasps) Really? Mm -hmm. So Charlie was supposed to ride bikes with his older brother, Alton, um, but Alton played the violin and he had a violin concert that day. Okay. So he wasn't going to be able to make it. But Charlie had new... Jonathan, mm-hmm. so he wanted to invite friends. him. Okay. Yes. Why don't you Google really quick, Arena, a picture of Jonathan Sellers so you can just see how adorable he is and his big eyes with long eyelashes. He is okay, so I, adorable. Oh, now I know these faces. You see Charlie Keith, so Kiever, cute. what a handsome young boy, too. Yeah. They're both so cute. They're both so cute. Yeah. It's so sad to know that these are the victims yes so melina goes to look at where jonathan is in his cleaning mm-hmm. and it wasn't where it should be um so she told charlie um you know he can go riding bikes with you but you're gonna have to wait a little while because he's still cleaning his room if you want to wait here for a while mm-hmm. he can ride with you afterwards so charlie was waiting and then after a while melina goes back into jonathan's room just to see where he's at mm-hmm. and she said it wasn't where it should be, but Jonathan was like, Mom, please, can I go ride oh. bikes? And he was just so excited. Yeah. And she's seen the excitement in his face, the happiness in his face. And she was like, you know what? It's clean enough. Go ahead and go. Oh, so gosh. she gave her son a kiss and a hug goodbye and said, I love you. Okay. This is breaking my heart. Mm-hmm. So off the boys went riding on their bikes in their neighborhood of Imperial Beach. They made a stop at their neighborhood rallies. Okay. So they went to rallies and they had lunch there. And um, and then, oh my gosh, when I read this. So then they made a stop at a local florist shop. 
Jonathan went in while Charlie was outside watching the bikes, and he asked the florist how much a single rose cost because both boys wanted to buy a rose for their moms. Oh, my God. That is so So sweet. this is just showing what type just for, of like, young no boys. Reason? Like, it wasn't, like, Mother's Day or anything? No, this was March. Oh, they're so sweet. Yes. So it just shows what type yeah. of boys they were, right? Then they went to a local pet store where they played with dogs and cats. Oh, my God. Renette, they, what yeah. are you doing to me? I know. It's giving me, yeah. I know. Uh, They even chatted with the store manager and some of the customers. Just like, how cute are they? I know. They're so adorable. Yeah. After that, they ended up stopping by a nearby arcade to play video games. So when I read that they went to an arcade and knowing they were an IB at first, I thought like, oh, I wonder if it was like Wonderland, which Mm -hmm. was this like really cool arcade. Yeah. You pay like a cover fee and each game is like five cents. Mm -hmm. Uh, But no, it was actually Fun Farm. Do you Fun remember farm? that? It was like on Hollister oh. and they had go-karts. You might be too young. No, I don't remember. I just remember like Tilt at Bonita Vista, the Plaza Bonita, and then like Boomers and stuff. But I don't okay. remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, on Hollister. It had go-karts. It was arcade in there. Oh, okay. Um, so they went there. And uh, sad to say, but that was the last time that the boys were seen alive. Oh, no. When John's mom, Melena, gave Jonathan permission to ride his bike with Charlie, she said that Jonathan always knew to be home by five o'clock for dinner. Mm -hmm. They had dinner every day at five o'clock. And she said in an interview that that boy loved to eat. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was a routine. And um, no matter whatever Jonathan was doing, he always made sure to be home at that time. Mm -hmm. Once it's past 5 p.m. and Jonathan's still not home, she tells one of Jonathan's siblings, because I believe he had five other siblings. Oh, wow. And one of those siblings was a twin. He had a twin sister. Okay. So she told one of her kids to call Charlie's house to see if Jonathan's there and to tell him, come home. It's Mm -hmm. way too late. You need to come home and have dinner. Streetlights are turning on. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it was back then, right? So... Well, when the uh, when they called, they got no answer, and um, the phone went to voicemail, so they left a message. And time, more time goes by. Well, Charlie's mom, Maria, ends up showing up at Jonathan's house. Mm-hmm. And when Jonathan's mom, Melena, sees Maria arrive, she just knew something was not right. Yeah, both are, are missing, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maria is asking for Charlie, and... Malena's like the boys are not here I was trying to call you to see if Jonathan was over there so immediately both moms they're very worried and the two of them get in a car together and drive around to try and locate the boys Mm -hmm. so they make a stop at the boys friends houses to see if they're there but Jonathan are nowhere to be found Um, what year was this 1993 wow even before um, any type of cell phone anything yep. like that yeah yeah and um jonathan's older brother alton he ended up going with them too to try to because he knew all of the um the paths that the boys would yeah, typically like ride bikes spots. on mm-hmm. okay and um he actually ended up taking the parents i believe to the crime scene but they didn't go in deep enough oh, to find gosh. them so yeah but so right there. Mm-hmm. So the moms go back home um, and they end up calling the police to make a missing persons report. Mm-hmm. 
So after the cops finally get to the home and they filed the report, the moms go back in the car and they're driving around, which I don't blame them. How yeah. can you rest? How no. can you go to sleep yeah, knowing your two babies? Looking, of course. So uh, they're just driving around and it started raining oh. that night. And I watched a video on YouTube um, and it was titled Losing a Child to Murder. And it was from Pace TV. And on this video, Jonathan's mom, Melena, was interviewed. And she said at that point when it started raining, she just knew her son was dead. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So sad. Yeah. So um, the police go around the area and um, they go around the area that the boys were riding the bike, their bikes and they start interviewing witnesses. One of the witnesses recalled seeing a man driving a car across the field where um, the bike path was at the Otai Riverbed. Mm-hmm. And the man was blocking the bike path, which the witness said seemed very unusual. And the witness said it was an older model blue Volvo. Okay. So the next day, um, so that was just like the only really eyewitness account besides the people who seen them like at rallies and at the pet store and the arcade and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day, police arrived to Melina's home and they told her that they may have found something, but she didn't hear the rest of what they said because she was in so much stress that she actually just passed out. She like zoned out. Oh, she passed out. She ended up fainting. (gasps) Oh, so again, she just heard them say they found something, but she didn't know exactly what it was. Yeah, uh, Cops end up leaving her house. She goes in her room. So she's in her room. And remember, she has five other young children. Yeah. She has 10 too, but she has her family over. So she has like her sister, mm-hmm. um, her ex-husband, which is Jonathan's dad, mm-hmm. was also there. So Melina's in her room and her family, meaning her children, her sisters, and her ex-husband, the father of father of Jonathan, they were in the living room watching the news. While they were watching the news, breaking news came on to say that they found the bodies of two deceased young boys and it was confirmed to be Jonathan <gasps> and Charlie. Oh my God, that's how they found out? They found out from news media. <gasps> wow. So that's awful. Um, the the family starts screaming in the in the living room and Malena said she heard the screaming and when she heard that she just knew, she knew. what it meant and she also started screaming. Oh my gosh. This is so awful. Mm-hmm. It was really hard just reading into this case. How did like the media get to it before the police could even like tell the families first? Like I'm maybe thinking, they were on scene already or something and I'm thinking maybe and and I could be wrong but maybe the cops did say what they found were the two boys but she couldn't oh. hear the rest of the words come out their mouth because she fainted and oh. I could be wrong but yeah I'm maybe that's what happened okay the boys bodies were discovered by a man named Peter so Peter was doing his typical bike ride from his apartment in Chula Vista to the Otai Riverbed which was and part of his workout included a part way into his bike ride. He would drop his bike and he would run. Okay, yeah. So he would run for a stretch. And as he ran, a camp-like thing in the bushes caught his eye. And as he looked inside, that's when he found um, 
the horrifying scene of the two deceased boys in this camp because there was like this makeshift igloo. And if you remember yeah, back at one the, of the, the wit- foil or something, was it was it? like the foliage, like oh, oh, the, foliage. The, one of the girl said that he made this igloo yeah. when they were a child. And he had like sodomized her and attacked yes. her. Wow. Now this part is, everything's been really hard for me yeah. to say, but oh God. this is extra hard for me to talk about. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> I know, and I I almost feel uncomfortable saying it out loud, but just know like what I'm saying. Um, it sounds awful, but it's I even left out certain parts, yeah, because yeah. it was just so bad. So, um, no, and, and but these, this is still really bad, yeah. and I'm just giving a warning. You might want to skip a a few minutes. Okay, I, mean, I know it's awful, but also it's these monsters deserve to be like outed for the terrible shit that they do so show just you know, how ugly this yeah, man was and yes to these poor victims these innocent little boys yes so anyways it's really uncomfortable just saying it out loud because these are two beautiful young boys and it's just awful what happened to them but i just I, yeah anyways i'll go into it so peter's seen one boy hanging from a rope on a tree branch and so he was hung and the other one laying on the floor both were naked from the waist down. They were found in an area of brush. Um, I believe it was 10 yards away from the trail. And the brush looked like a like a fort. And there was this natural foliage that went over the top to create a partial roof over the structure mm-hmm. like an igloo. And that was around 10 feet wide, 12 feet long, and 6 feet tall. So it was, there was wow. room in there. Yeah. Uh, that is where the boys' bodies were found. Um, so it was Jonathan that was found hanging by a branch about three and a half feet off the ground via a rope tied around his neck and with his knees and knuckles on the ground. Oh, my gosh. Another rope was tied around his ankles, and he was gagged with a towel and tape around his chin. Charlie was lying face down, and he had a rope and cord around his neck there was dried blood on Charlie's genitals. His genitals were mutilated. There oh were bite marks down there. <gasps> the medical examiner that testified that did this autopsy revealed um, that the injuries that were done to his gen- the genitals and the anus were um, consistent with penetration of a foreign object and bruising and abrasions to the penis and scrotum happened when um, the boy was still alive. alive. <gasps> so um, they were tortured before both were strangled. God, horrific. Mm-hmm. The evidence collected at the crime scene were two cigarette butts and the two boys' bicycles, which were found chained together and covered with tumbleweeds about 30 feet north of the fort. Okay, uh, cigarette butts, so DNA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So the police collected um, sexual assault swabs from both boys. And the initial analysis revealed that there was a single sperm cell from a swab of the skin on Jonathan's scrotum, but it didn't give anything. Mm -hmm. Um, The analyst determined that no further testing should be done on that DNA sample until DNA testing improved. So she sealed the sample and stored it away. 
Um, I mean, it was 1993, yeah. and DNA was not where it is now. Especially if that small of a sample, it's, it was very One single sperm even, cell. Yeah. So the case goes cold. Um, Wait, they didn't test the cigarette butts either? Like, it wasn't enough? Or? It wasn't enough back then, in oh, 1993. Okay. Because he's in the system, so I would think, like, you know, yeah, they could have tested it, but yeah. Yeah. So then uh, now it's March of 2001. So that would have been eight years. Yes. Yeah. So that would have been, I'm all counting <laughs> with my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> so it would have been uh, eight years after the crime happened. And at that point, DNA testing had greatly improved. Um, and the San Diego cold case squad reopened the investigation of the boys using more advanced DNA and they tested the sexual assault cotton swaps uh, from the boys, and they got a hit. Okay. It matched with Scott. Of course, yeah. They actually tested those cigarette butts again, found at the scene, and those also matched to Scott. Okay, yeah. So in March of 1993, when the crime happened, Scott was living in San Diego and his roommate Lori testified that Scott carried a knife with him and he smoked and he drove an older model Volvo, which was consistent with the description of the car that was spotted at the time um, at the crime scene Mm -hmm. the day that the boys disappeared. So thankfully, there's some sort of justice, right? Yeah, but like... Eight or nine years later. I know. It was like torture for the entire family. And there were signs ever since he was a freaking child that he should not be in society. He is not a normal person. When I read those stories, it just got me so angry. Yeah. So angry. It always happens. It always happens. They just ignore the signs. They put him in prison for a little bit, release them over and over until this shit happens. It's like horrific. It is. It is. Um, so, you know, they found the perpetrator of this God awful crime. Well, when they go to locate Scott, they find out that he was actually already in prison for a rape that he committed six months after the boys murders. (gasps) Wow. So six months after he murdered the boys, Scott waved over a woman named Jennifer. Jennifer was waiting for the bus. Um, and the bus she was waiting for. She missed it. So she was sitting at the bus stop Mm -hmm. waiting for the next one. So Scott sees her. He waved her over. He told her, you know, if you want, why don't you come over to my apartment for a beer? And then afterwards, you know, I'll take you wherever it is that you need to go. Gosh. And so she went with him. When they get to the apartment, she said that he was doing some crystal meth. Oh, And... She was actually a recovering addict, but when she oh. saw it, she ended up doing the she crystal relapsed. meth too. Yeah, wow. So she broke her sobriety. Shortly after Scott and Jennifer did the meth, uh, Scott ended up choking her to the point of her passing out and defecating herself. <sighs> when she regained consciousness, He demanded for her to take her clothes off, which she obviously did because she was terrified for her life. Mm -hmm. He took her in the shower to clean her up since she, you know, went to the Mm -hmm. bathroom on herself. He ended up uh, tying her hands and behind her back with a yellow rope. He put duct tape over her mouth and then he 
started to shave her genitals. God. Yeah. Um, And he said, he told her it was like for hygiene reasons. Oh, how nice. Mm -hmm. He cares so much about hygiene. Sicko. Gross ass. He then took the tape off of her mouth and forced her to give him oral sex. And then he proceeded to rape her. Wow. Afterwards, he gave her some clothes to put back on and he cooked her a steak. <laughs> I I don't know. Oh my god! He's yeah, like, I'm a good guy. I'm cleaning you up and let me feed you what? Let yeah. me feed you. Let me shave Can't you. let you leave without a proper meal and some clothes that I made you rip off in the first place because I'm a fucking psychopath. Mm-hmm. Well, after they ate, he drove her to where she was originally planning to go. Um, which was a hotel in downtown. Um, she had some sort of meeting. I think it was the college. She was going to some sort of community college. City college? And maybe it was San Diego City College, okay. but it was to like celebrate somebody's promotion or graduation or something like mm-hmm. that. So she, he ended up taking her over there. What? She still went to this? She still went to it. I mean, I would be like anything to get away from you. But when she went there, there was, um, gosh, I believe it was one of her professors or teachers or something like that. And they noticed that she clearly was going through something. And he asked her. Traumatizing. And she told him what happened. And she was too scared to go to her apartment because he knew. He ended up, I don't know if he took her ID, but he knew where, Scott knew where she lived. So he offered her a place to stay. He was trying to tell her, you need to go to the police. Well, she ended up going to the police. I think it was maybe five days later. Um, But I understand. She's like traumatized too. So I understand, you know, why it was hard for her to go to the police. Of course, yeah. She thought he would find her and kill her if she told anyone. Yeah. Um. So when she went to the police, the police noted that she had hemorrhaging in both eyes because she was choked out and had some injuries on her body. So uh, police go to Scott's apartment and they found a shotgun, the yellow rope that Jennifer told them um, that Mm -hmm. he used to tie her up. And they found drugs. Um, Police then searched uh, Scott's car, which was that blue older model Volvo. Yeah. And they also found um, electrical tape and more yellow yellow tape in the car. Mm -hmm. So that's what he was arrested for six months after the death of the two beautiful boys. Well, I'm glad she went to the police and he was able to get put away. But Jesus. Now also get this. In the year 2000, so while Scott was already locked up Mm -hmm. for what he did to the woman, um, for to Jennifer, his DNA was linked to another crime. I mean, this guy's done like 20 freaking things already. It was actually a cold case for just over a decade. And so in 1989, while Scott was living for a short while in Palm Beach, Florida, where he had met oh, his yeah. wife, remember, mm-hmm. a woman named Renee was found dead. She was beaten and strangled to death. And at the crime scene, police officers collected a freaking cigarette butt. And ultimately, it was that cigarette butt that connected Scott to that crime. Oh, my God. I can't yeah. even. Now I'm like, OK, how many other freaking crimes has he's done? That I wonder what. Yes. Like, discovered yet. That's 
I, I'm sure there's got to be lot. so many other I'm crimes. sure, yeah. And these stories from when he was a kid, it's like only from people who, you know, actually came out about it and told someone about because who knows about if the people who were these too scared poor or dead scared kids yeah yeah so in 2003 scott finally goes to trial on the charges of two counts of murder with the special allegations of sodomy oral copulations child molestation and torture during the trial jonathan's mom melena gives her victim impact statement mm-hmm. She described her struggle to continue on taking care of herself and her other children after Jonathan's death. Yeah. Jonathan had a twin sister named Jennifer, which, by the way, she went to like law school and I believe she's an attorney now. So go, girl. Yes. Uh, And Jennifer said that she felt alone for, you know, going through life without her twin. Yeah. Um, she talked about how Jonathan loved to smile. He loved to laugh and he was just so happy all of the time. They look like such happy little kids, like the photos they used for the missing persons. Yep. She also said that he was always trying to keep up with his big brother, Alton, because he wanted to be just like him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Charlie's mom, Maria, gave her victim impact statement. And she said for years and years she would go to the crime scene. She became consumed with with finding her child's killer. Mm -hmm. And sadly, at one point, uh, she bought a gun and went to the crime scene because she wanted to kill herself and die at the same place that her son died. Thankfully, she didn't do it, but that's just... That's how I mean, that's understanding and it's awful that she even felt that way or had to go through any of this. Right. She said she called the police every day, sometimes twice a day for eight years. Wow. Yeah. She described Charlie as quiet and happy. She said he liked to play Nintendo and ride his bike. He also really enjoyed fishing with his father. And Charlie had an older sister. I think she was either 10 or 12 years older than him. And she said that the uh, family purchased billboards and even visited psychics to try and find her brother's killer. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said that her brother's death just took over her mom's life. She talked about how Charlie loved to play with her basset hounds that Aww. she had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cute. <laughs> and he had an interest in cooking. And right before her brother uh, passed away, she taught him how to bake chocolate chip cookies. Aww. So uh, then Charlie's older brother, who was in the military, talked. And he said um, at the time of Charlie's death, he came down to bury his brother And he said that he would never come back to San Diego to live because now it's just filled with such a bad memory. Oh, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. So Scott was found guilty and he was given the death penalty. Mm -hmm. He was sent to San Quentin State Prison. And in July of 2020, so just two years ago, he died of COVID complications. Oh, my God. That's how he died? I'm glad the bastard is dead, but yeah. to die from COVID, I wanted it just seems too violent. good for him. I wanted violence. <laughs> he should have experienced what he did to these kids. I agree. I agree. Wow. I ended up watching a KUSI video on YouTube where they had a segment with Milena, Jonathan's mm-hmm. mom. They had her on the segment when they found out that Scott had died due to COVID. And uh, they just wanted to ask her, you know, how she felt when she heard what, what the news was. Mm-hmm. 
And she said when she found out that the man who murdered her son died, she was shocked and she had no words. Um, she said she was just like quiet for a while when they called to notify her. Mm-hmm. And she said she and Charlie's mom, Maria, eventually started crying. And then she said she was glad that Scott was dead. But then she also started feeling guilty for feeling that way because she's Christian um, so she said she ended up calling her pastor to tell him, you know, how she was feeling. And he told her, you know, it's okay. It, it's He's fine. in hell. Yes. <laughs> Where he it, belongs. Right. Yeah. It's fine to feel that way. Um, you know, it's a relief, yeah. you know, there's closure. So, um, in the segment and actually that other interview from Pace TV that I saw, uh, she said it was her trust and faith in God that got her through everything. And um, she was just relieved that it was finally all over. Yeah. Something I thought that was really great is Jonathan's dad, along with Malena and Maria, which is Maria, Charlie's mom, Mm -hmm. um, they started a foundation. And the foundation's called the Jonathan Sellers and Charlie Kiever Foundation. Mm -hmm. It's a nonprofit whose mission is to promote safety and well-being of children. So they go to schools um, and talk to children and teach them about being safe. Yeah. Um, And they don't charge the schools for doing this. Mm -hmm. So anyone can go online to donate money because it costs them money to send people, you know, to go do that. Um, And there's actually also an outdoor educational center, uh, sort of like park that's named after the boys. Oh, really? After, you know, I heard about this case, I went on the bike path just to see. It's on that bike path that I do from here home in Chula Vista to Imperial uh Beach Pier. It's in Imperial Beach right next to the Bayshore Bikeway. Oh, okay. Um, They have telescopes for viewing wildlife. The park has plaques for learning about um, indigenous plants and nature. And they just learn about taking care of the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. I thought that was really, yeah. really cool. So I was so happy because I ended up reaching out to Jonathan's mom, Elena. Okay. And I told her that I was going to do an episode on this case. And I asked her if there was anything that she would like for me to share. Mm-hmm. Let me read to you what she said. So she asked me to mention the book that she wrote, which I'm going to talk about. Okay. It's called Always Fly Away. And she said... Talk about the book, mention the book and the importance of its simple message. She said to keep your distance, stay alert and fly away like leave. Yes. When you feel something isn't right or unsure of what to do. Mm -hmm. And Malena said she believes as long as Jonathan and Charlie's name is uttered, they will always be with us. Yes. And she thanked us for doing this. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm so grateful that she even took the time to respond back to me. Oh, but that's awesome that you reached out and she responded. Yes. She has that book, uh, Always Fly Away. Her book is called Always Fly Away, a children's safety book. Oh, okay. She said after the loss of her son, she knew she had to do something. She said that her son's was not going to be in vain. And that's when she wrote the book. So Always Fly Away is a story that teaches the basics of safety to children. 
It's 32 pages and it's a rhyming style sort of book. Oh, so I just Googled it. It's the images so are so bright yeah. and colorful. They're so cute. So the story is from uh, the perspective of a young bird named Stella. She leaves her house to go meet her friend at a creek. When she's there, she's greeted by a really nice looking cat. And the cat kindly asks Stella uh, for her help. But Stella remembers the advice that her mom always gave her, which was to stay alert, keep your distance. And when you don't know what to do, fly away. Yes. You know, leave. Mm -hmm. So this book teaches children lessons about strangers, a stranger Mm -hmm. being anyone that your parent hasn't introduced you to. And like, I remember growing up, um, my parents would always say, if an adult is like saying, I need your help or, oh, I know your parents, but you never met them. They always say, remember, they're an adult, like they don't need your help. Yes. And just be wary of everyone that you speak to. And if you really don't know that person and don't remember them, don't help them just run the other direction. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love that your parents, Mm -hmm. you know, put that, engrave that into your head growing up. So with every book that's sold on ReflectingPublishing.com, $1 will be donated to the Jonathan Sellers and Charlie Kieber Foundation. Mm. So I highly recommend any of our listeners uh, who have elementary aged children or even younger children to purchase this book. Mm -hmm. Or even if you don't have a kid, if you have a niece or a nephew or a friend who has kids, buy this book. I looked on Amazon and I think it was for $13. Okay. And I know I'm going to buy one for my nephew. Or even just to donate onto their their foundation, right? Yes. Yeah. Any amount will help. And it's for a a dang good cause, and, right? Um, we'll try to like add that link or information in the show notes and description. Yep. That way you guys can go look at that. Yep. So, you know, my heart goes out to Jonathan and Charlie's family. Um, I think it's so great that the boys' moms came together to create this foundation mm-hmm. and bring awareness to other children um, to hopefully prevent it from happening again. Yes. And again, I think, uh, Malena for responding to me and um, that was the story of Jonathan Sellers and Charlie Kiever wow that was really that really was like tough the one. saddest one that's like the worst one it is and oh my gosh just so awful these poor little little innocent babies yeah and I'm so glad that Scott is dead but it just really bothers me that it feels like COVID was just such an easy way for him to yeah, die. Yeah, like an illness, not something like, uh, I don't know, just more torturous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't mean to sound that morbid about it, but it's true. He deserved it. Like, he I don't did. give a shit what he, you know, if he had gone through the worst torture ever, that's what he deserved. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, Please make sure to check out the foundation and the book and rest in peace to Jonathan and Charlie. Next time I will be speaking about another San Diego case. And thank you guys again for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.